0: And um, uh, if uh, Caleb didn't mention it, welcome to those that uh, have, haven't have been here much or are visiting. Um, it's great that you're with us. We, we hope that uh, you're encouraged through this time of worship. Uh, we had a few little technical issues to start with, and um, it's what happens when the pastor goes away to visit his family, <laughs> um, but they're all sorted now, so... Um, what we're going to do is uh, read um, the scripture that we're looking at today and it's uh, found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 to 10 and uh, Kath will bring it up there. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, for in this tent we groan, "...longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we'd be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage." or evil. I'm just going to read a little bit more, Kath, it's all right. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you a cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, not about what's in the heart. For if we are decide ourselves, it is for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ controls us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. <clears throat> our Heavenly Father, um, pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts may be indeed acceptable in your sight. Lord, we just pray this in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen. Now i just got to do a little manoeuvring here of the um, thing, so we've got some recording. Um Okay, so we're talking about 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 1 to 10. Now this is a a thing, joy and happiness, we all long for it in all of our lives, that's what we want, happiness, joy and we also know that we all experience difficulties in this life. We know we're born into a world that is, uh, where there is trouble, where there is hardship, where there is struggles and pain. We saw it in those people uh, there in Ethiopia. And they come uh, to any one of us and all of us, irrespective of who we are and what we do. And for Christians, however, it is somewhat different. Uh, Even if you're not a Christian, you know that Christianity is supposed to uh, bring us joy. Everybody has that sort of understanding that Christian joy is there in spite of some difficult circumstances. The Bible tells us there is joy available and that's not supposed to be subject to circumstances. But I wrestle with that. I don't know about you, but I do. Why why don't I always have continuous joy in my life? And I see many people who on the exterior look joyful, but when pressed down or when they're in a moment, they, they are troubled and perhaps they're depressed or other people I speak to, they, they have a, a sort of an exuberant um, discussion with them but eventually they might break down in tears. There's something going on deep within them that they are losing that joy. And that sometimes is, happens for Christians. Now I don't understand about uh, other people necessarily and even sometimes myself But the Bible does say that there is joy available and that should be at least making us quietly happy. And there is joy that the deepest trouble cannot put out. The Bible tells us that. And if properly nourished and developed, it can coexist, even overcome our painful trials, our greatest griefs. And this sort of irrepressible joy, this confidence, this positive expectation in life, regardless of what comes in life, um, is what we want to know about, surely. And I, I, I'm, that's what we want to look at in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. But I'm, going to, I'm just going to digress a little bit and talk about the fact why I'm using this passage, why I'm focused on 2 Corinthians is because it's all about those who are questioning the Christian faith. Paul is writing to these believers in Corinth and uh, under the inspiration the Spirit is given to us to help us understand uh, how we can uh, understand what God has done for us. And if you go back uh, some months ago, I preached a couple of sermons. Uh, one was, on, these are on the different aspects of the Christian life. And sometimes... Uh, If we're asked, what is it in you? Why are you the way you are? Why are you different from other people? We need to have an answer. We need to explain what the gospel is about. And the foundation for that, that's why I'm explaining this, is the fact that we should start with who we are. Uh, And we should start with who God is. Who is God? Uh, Who are we? Well, we're different because our, our identity is different from what we were. We were once that way, but now we are new creations in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And also we are changing and that's because we're motivated. Why? How are we motivated? We're motivated by God's love. Christ's love compels us, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5. And that's what we should see in our lives, that we are changing. And finally today, it's all about our commitment, our confidence, our joy. How do we hold on to that? Joy is a bit of an elusive fruit. Sometimes it seems to slip away and we get discouraged. Um, But Paul is writing to the Christians in Corinth knowing uh, that some were undermining his work and they were saying things like, He can't really be a genuine apostle if he's going through all these trials and tribulations. And they were they were saying, Well, you know, his suffering proves that he's not really genuine. And Paul's writing back and saying this in this letter, saying, It's not only that God is working in my life to show that these tribulations show that God is working, that I that my identity is with Christ that my motivation is to serve and to love and my confidence and joy is there too. And so these three are linked together. If we're going to explain our Christian faith to someone that wants to ask us what, what is the hope that we have. We need to link those three together. So here it is. We have some teaching that gives us the basis for our joy or our confidence and confidence. I'm telling you, there's three aspects, uh, not necessarily seen by those who are uh, not believers, but it's very clear here that these should be in our minds as we think about our joy, our confidence in, our, in, in Christ. And these are, the, these are the three. Death is not the final thing. Uh, suffering does have purpose. And there are future rewards, these are certain. And Christians will have this impervious, relentless joy if we keep those things in mind. If you know that death is not the final chapter, there is a homecoming. If you know that suffering, despite how difficult it may be, has a purpose, that life life is not to be wasted and it will get better. And if you know that there are future rewards that the best things are yet to come. Now, here's the implication, and this is extremely important to understand. For many today, in the world around us, death is just the final thing, the separation of body and spirit. Nothing comes after that. It does bring a sense of finality. And some, even Christians, may, may... come to accept that. They may not say it, but in their lives, in their actions, they live as if this is the only life. There is nothing after this life. They're not taking God as his word. The Bible says death is a result of sin. Death is not the way it should be. And you have to think of Jesus' reaction at the tomb of Lazarus. You have to... See him weeping there. You have to realise that he's getting, uh, in a way, cross about the fact that Lazarus has died. And then we read that he delayed his going there in order for what? To display God's glory. To reveal that God has the power to raise the dead. That this is not the way it should be. The body and soul belong together. And you have to or you have to go to Jesus' transfiguration. And what do we see there? But Jesus transfigured, transformed. And who is he talking to? Moses and Elijah. Uh, They're not dead, they're alive. And you have to accept that the Lord has power to raise the dead. And this power is given to others, such as Paul, who raised that young lad that fell out of the window. That we read about in Acts 20, Eutychius. You need to see that, as Paul writes, that our desire is, he says, not to be naked. And it's saying we don't, we don't want our bodies to be, and their spirits to, um, to be separate, that they're to be together. And it's nothing to do with being physically naked. It's all the analogy that we want to be not only clothed, but fully clothed. And complete and our righteousness will be complete when we are body and spirit together perfect uh, with Christ and this this hope of of the future home of, of being giving a complete and perfect body without sin is even the hope that goes back into the Old Testament the Old Testament saints the, the psalmists and many others are writing it for example Daniel. In Daniel chapter 12, uh, this is what it said there. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. It's talking about the the, the the coming of Christ again. And some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who who turn many to righteous like stars forever and ever. And Paul here is using a tent analogy, um, a, a comparison between the tent that is flimsy and temporary, like our physical bodies, compared to a mansion if as it were, a, an established building which is permanent a habitation he, he describes not made by human hands um, that is our new bodies eternal, everlasting, a dwelling for our spirit uh, that is far superior than our present bodies, which are decaying. And don't we know it? Is your hair falling out? Are your teeth falling out? Are you, you got some aches and pains? Now, I have many fond memories of tenting. And as I think back, I've done it in Cubs and Scouts and Cadets and with family uh, when I was young and with family as I have got older, canoe trips down rivers and uh, camping on sides of mountains and all sorts of places. Perhaps the most memorable times is when uh, I was actually th- the, the the camping site was threatened. Uh, there was there we were on the side near a river, and it was all nice and quiet and peaceful. But suddenly, in early in the morning, the river's rising, and it's sort of rising like. Uh, two inches in every ten minutes, or something ridiculous. And all of a sudden I'm waking up and I'm seeing uh, there goes the milk down the river, and my canoe might go down the river too, and we might go down the river as well. And so we have to pull up our tent pegs very quickly. Or then we're camping on the steep side of a mountain, and all we can think about is the branch falling on our flimsy tent this is, the, this is the truth about where we are now. We have a habitation, God is saying, and he's provided. it. It's not built by human hands. It's, it's a new body. And don't we look forward to it? Don't we look forward to it? That's one aspect of our joy. Life is more than food and clothing. Uh, our body is more than food and clothing. And yet... Some people will then say, well, okay, you know, there's much more than this life and and beyond this life. But what about the suffering now? What about our trials and and the pain and the tribulations? How can a Christian maintain joy when all that's going on in their lives? Well, this this brings us to the second point. This is another common aspect of this life. We all face death, whether you're Christian or, or an unbeliever. And we all face trials, Christian or unbeliever. We're no different in that respect. Our bodies will die and we will suffer. And there are frustrations and there are groans and we, we whether we're a believer or not, but the gospel brings us joy. Paul, and, and we've got to go back, uh, just a little bit back into chapter four to see this. Uh, Paul's saying there in in chapter 5, for in this tent, this body, we groan. We long to put on our heavenly dwelling. And verse 4, while we're still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we'd be unclothed, but we'd further clothed. When you go back to 2 Corinthians 4, it's explained a little bit more, that we have this treasure and it's in jars of clay, which are fragile, which can break. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God. And Paul gives a a, a category of, of what goes on in our lives. We're afflicted, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying around the body of death, the death of Jesus in the body that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies, knowing that he who raised the Lord will raise us with Jesus. For it is all for your sake, so that grace extends more and more to other people. So we don't lose heart. You see, this is our confidence. We don't lose heart. Even though we're perplexed, we're, we're despairing, we're persecuted, we're struck down, we don't lose heart because... Because even though our outer self is wasting away, we're being renewed day by day. And Paul gives another analogy here. You know, it's, it's like our, our troubles are like feathers. They just, they just, they're just there. And they're very light and seemingly insignificant compared to the, to the tons and tons of weight of God's glory that's reserved for us. Light, momentary, we say no, no. Afflictions, that's what they are compared to what the weight, the eternal weight of glory, uh, and it's beyond all comparison as we look to these things that God has in store for us. So here we are again, the suffering we endure is a reminder that there is much better things in store, but God is actually preparing for us, working in us, and that, yes, we will die, and yes, we will suffer because we don't belong in this decaying world. God has something much better for us, and inwardly God is renewing us. Light, momentary troubles, afflictions, they're preparing us, they're helping us see that there's something much better for us. And whether it's physical or whether it's mental or whether it's emotional or spiritual traumas, uh, they're all pale into insignificance compared to what God has in store. Perhaps we've been caught up in some health problem. Perhaps there are things that we're going through right now. But we've got to fix our eyes on Jesus We've got to realise, and this is, this is, a, if you like, this is the practical working out of this. We've got to look at Jesus' death, number one. He suffered a humiliating death. Why did he do that? He did it because, so that you can endure and go through that suffering. He did it because he can help you, strengthen you to go through it. He didn't have to, but he did. And that's why he's our friend. That's why he is our saviour. So in this life, we carry around the death. And we go through the suffering in order that we may more and more rely on his strength and his resources. The promises of God are not about taking away our trials. Just like these persecuted Christians in Syria and Ethiopia and India are saying, don't pray for those things. We know that they come. We know that they're there. But pray that we may have the strength to go through. And Paul, in other places, if you go through this letter, there's about three or four lists of what he's gone through. In chapter one, he says, the affliction we experienced in Asia uh, made him so utterly burden beyond our, our strength that we despaired of life itself. hes It's almost like he's going through some depression himself. Indeed, we felt we received the sentence of death, he says. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In chapter 12, Paul goes on to boast about his suffering, telling these Corinthians, you know, well, if you, you can boast, but... So can I. I can boast about all these things. I might not, you might think I'm a bit crazy. But he boasts about the fact that he was taken up into the third heaven. And then he goes on and says he boasts about this, that he had this thorn given to him, this, this um, affliction in the flesh. And three times he prayed. But what did God tell him? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, that thorn showed uh, helped Paul realize that he needed to continue to rely on the Lord for strengthening him through that time. And so, I don't, I don't know what what you think about or or how you face these dramas, but perhaps if. For example, if we think about Jesus' death every time we come to a drama, that will help. But also to think about Jesus' resurrection because he rose again to give us eternal life. And obviously death death is at work, but this tent is not permanent. This clothing is insufficient. And we see God not only working to prepare us with, with a new body, but also working in us to prepare us to receive that new body. And while we experience and see suffering wasting away, God is working unseen. That's the, that's the challenge, isn't it? That's the challenge. And we might find it hard to fix our eyes on what is unseen. But that's why we need to study our, our Bibles, read our Bibles. That's why we need to encourage each other. That's why we need to think about these things. And if we, if we just read this passage every day for the next week, would we, would we have a different view of life? Uh, it really comes down to what's in our hearts. What is our greatest affections? And as we examine those desires... What holds our best attention? We may see that perhaps it's not the Lord and perhaps we need to change our perspective. Some recent discussions with their work colleagues, uh, the painful challenge of dealing with uh, their parents, elderly people, helping them to adjust to change, to downsize, to move into care, to make allowances for some dementia or some some sort of things that older people seem to get up to. Um, And and they even suggested they would spare others uh, of this pain by just ending their lives rather quickly. And it's a challenge, isn't it, when people, as as people get older, it's it's so difficult, uh, so demanding, losing some freedoms, losing mobility, to be caught into a system where you find that they're just focused on money and and not caring about people. But these words in Scripture remind us that our time is short here, that we're all advancing at the same rate uh, and we're all facing a day when our tent, not too glorious tent, is, is going to be gone and we're aching for a better body, a better house. And the reality that this world offers no hope, no permanent dwelling, just frustration and decay. But God has something better for us and he's preparing it. We might not see it. Uh, and, I, and I think back on my afflictions. I think back on my troubles and through my life and the ones I've caused or the ones that have come along. And you might like to think about that through. How have you changed? Are you more prepared for eternity this day compared to last year or last week? This is the this is the Corrective. In some ways, you know, some people want to see spectacular miracles and workings of the spirit. But God is saying, I'm working on you day by day, week by week, moment by moment. And this is is what we're called to do, strengthen our, our faith by having this joy, this resilient joy, fixing our eyes and giving our best attention to what God has in store for us. And then... We're talking about uh, the fact that there's death and there's suffering, but we're also talking about the fact that um, this joy, uh, we know that our works uh, will be rewarded, Our, our good works, our efforts do count. There are future rewards. Better things are yet to come. And uh, so whether, Paul writes this in verse 9 and 10. So whether we're at home or away from the Lord, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due, whether he's, what, what's whether been done in the body, whether good or evil. And this is not a fearful thing. Some may think, oh, this is, I'm going to be judged. But this is not a fearful thing for the believer uh, we know that those who believe in Christ are saved through the grace of God. It's nothing you do that saves you. It's what Christ has done. Uh, but Paul is writing about here, not, not about our salvation. That's assured. Christ has done it. But it's using our time wisely. It's using what God has given us wisely. What Whatever abilities and talents and And resources we have, we are to be servants in the service of the Master, seeking His well done, good and faithful servant. And whether we're at home in the body that's living this life, uh, and we won't be at the judgment seat just yet, but we should aim, make it our aim to please Him. Or whether we're at home with the Lord, we actually see Him face to face, uh, that is when you die, you'll be with Jesus. What a great reward that is. And this should give us joy. The fact that God will reward us for what we do as we seek to serve him, as we seek to honour him. Remember that story about Peter when, uh, you know, uh, he's talking with Jesus and and Peter said, oh, we've left our homes and we're we're following you. And Jesus said, yes, that's good and you'll receive this reward. You'll have a hundredfold houses and family and, and possessions in this life but in the life to come, eternal life. And this is what we have to look forward to, eternal life. A thousand years is like a blink, if we can ever imagine a thousand years. Joy comes in knowing that there's much, much more for us. God reveals his love, his life to us. We have this confidence. We have this irrepressible joy. And <clears throat> there are many passages, like I said, you know, if, if, you, if you struggle, perhaps come back and read this passage every day for a week. Or read another parallel passage like it. Romans 8, 31 to 39. It says, it says this, What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who's against us? He didn't spare his own son, but gave him up how will he not also give us graciously all things? Who shall bring any charge against us? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, indeed is interceding for us. So even though our hearts may condemn us, writes John, God is greater than our hearts and he has given us the way to escape that judgment. And as it is written, for your sake, we've been killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep of the No, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither death nor life, now, now listen to this list, angels or rulers or things present or things to come or powers or heights or depth or anything else in all the creation can separate us from God's love. Isn't that an amazing verse? So this is what we're going to sing now. We'll get our musicians up again. When my hope and strength is gone, this is the most important words in this. When my hope and strength is gone, you're the one that calls me on. You are the life. You are the fight that's in my soul. See, it's all what God has done. It's your resurrection power that burns like fire in my heart. When waters rise... And your tent's about to be washed away, I lift my eyes up to your throne. We are more than conquerors. And it's because Jesus has overcome this world and this life that we don't need to bow to sin and to shame, that He's the fire that can't be tamed. He's the power in our lives. Our Lord, our God, our Conqueror. Lord, bless us and encourage us in these in these words of Scripture. These this encouragement that Paul gives to us this day, and we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're just gonna.